house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. By now, you are well into the excessive facial hair phase of your depression. It's not a good time, Wendy. Dad's dead. What? Hi, sis. Mommy. What's different about her? The boobs. She had a little touch-up. Your father had one final request, and we are going to honor it. He just wanted his kids under one roof. So for the next seven days, you are all grounded. Hello, and welcome to the This at Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that doesn't know if we're equipped to be loved like this. Every week on This at Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my therapist lover, Joe Reed. We are here to perform the autopsy and then to yank out the... Uh breathing tube somewhat harshly as uh, jane fonda does at the beginning of this film that uh that it was an upsetting scene as <laughs> uh someone who has had a loved one who's had to have a breathing tube removed and they mm. do kick you out because it is not as pleasant as no it- that is my understanding i've i've watched enough gray's anatomy to know that uh <laughs> <laughs> that is not the, the the play. Yes. Really what Tina should have said to Jane Fonda to get her stop that it is Shondaverse law. Cannot. <laughs> That's right. Um, or right. Shonda Land law. Yes. Yes, Shonda Land. Uh, How dare you? We're here to perform the autopsy and then uh we're going to this is going to be our longest episode ever. Uh-oh. Might take a while for us to upload it because we are then going to sit a full shiva. Seven days. For seven days. Yes. Um this episode will be seven days long. Uh the movie feels like it is seven months long. I do feel like we maybe made an error in not having anyone of Jewish descent as a guest on this podcast to just sort of act as a reference point for exactly how Jewish or not Jewish, for lack of a more elegant or, phrase. I was going to say, don't you mean like the mistake that this movie made of not having barely anyone of Jewish descent in the cast? They kind of write themselves a little ben bit Schwartz. of a permission slip where they make Jane Fonda's character not Jewish. So all the kids are, are you know, half Jewish and not religious. Jewish. So the, which to me is like, okay, so then like, I'll stop writing my little op-ed, but... It still feels like, well, then why are we framing this movie around a family sitting Shiva? And I guess you can make the argument that, like, the family's discomfort with this as a religious tradition is maybe part characterization on, you know, on the film's part. But it feels like a little bit of a weak defense. Two things. It is so pointedly said, those things that you said, how the dad was like Jewish only in lineage. Uh, in that, the point that it's like the movie feels like it, it tries to stress that in that scene 
so easily. And then, of course, there's the twist at the end where it's like, it wasn't even the dad's idea, it was the mom's idea. So right. it's like, it's all kind of so odd that you can't believe that these characters would actually submit themselves to this. Um, especially when the movie itself is so broad. Um, but I guess that's just kind of one of the things that's hardwired into it that you just kind of have to buy into and go with. I felt that same way when I read this book, though I maybe hated the book even more than I had. Had you read the book before you had seen the movie? I had. If you can believe it, the book hates women even more than this movie does. That's interesting. I don't know if I walk away from this movie thinking it hates women so much as it just sort of doesn't do a great job of characterization across the board. Right. Well, I mean, if I'm remembering the book correctly, it opens with basically, it opens with Jason Bateman's character, Judd, walking into seeing his, uh, I don't even remember if it's his boss in the book or not, but his boss, for lack of, you know, whatever. His boss and his wife having sex and him, like, so sardonically, wittily, darkly describing the vision of this man ejaculating. Yeah. So it was very much like that kind of book. I don't know. I still think that the movie kind of where do you uh, feel like the movie hates women? In uh, it takes a lot of joy, I think, and thinks it's very funny putting basically all of its female characters in these like humiliating like situations or circumstances Mm. or making these kind of really outlandish choices especially with the Catherine Hahn character that's just that's definitely the most disappointing especially when you've cast Catherine Hahn who's so talented and can do so much and to give her that little to do and have it be what that ends up being which is so unimportant to the greater plot feels so extraneous you absolutely could have cut that character out pretty much entirely and lost nothing i guess that's i guess it's the impetus for the big very cliched front lawn fight between uh bateman and Corey stoll that i guess you wouldn't be able to write around but like uh, you know other than that that felt like maybe the movie's biggest missed opportunity. I don't know if I go necessarily to feel like this movie is anti-women so much as it is just, it leaves a lot, it leaves a lot of meat on the bone in terms of all of these characters. Nobody feels like they are investigated too interestingly. And my feeling with this movie for the most part is this is a movie with a pretty weak script and non-interesting direction that tries to paper over all of that with a really incredible cast. Like, it really, like, like this movie is yeah. cast so far above the level of what the movie is that it feels like, oh, maybe we can save this by, like, casting 10 phenomenal actors in this movie. And this movie is really an object lesson in the limits of what a great cast can do for a movie where the structure and the skeleton of it is, is bad. Right. Right. And and like also the structure and the skeleton of it is something that we've seen a dozen times before. Yeah. Like usually not 
necessarily great, but like awards year awards adjacent. So yeah. like, there is kind of a high expectation that like it comes with, especially when you launch this at a major film festival. The, f- the, the, the Oscar buzz, the and- Oscar buzz for this movie almost entirely comes from the the shape of it right do you look at a movie Mm -hmm. like this and you're like oh like this has done a movie with this premise or with this you know what vibe we seem like it's it seems like it's going for has done well the other thing about this is where i leave you not to get too far into it is i do think it's a watchable movie nothing about this movie feels excruciating to me or like unbearable i don't think it's terrible i think it's just so flat and i think because then the cast is so talented, I find myself getting more frustrated because yeah. it could have been, you get this collection of talent there and you could have really had something. And, but like as, as it stands, I saw this movie before when it first came out. I saw this movie again last night. I did not have a terrible time with it. I did not, you know, I wasn't clawing my face off mm-hmm. waiting for it to end, but I was just like, it's just so flat. I definitely think it's maybe worse than, I mean, it's not the worst movie we've watched. It's certainly not the worst movie we'll be talking about this month on our podcast. Right. But like, I definitely think it's worse than you do, but I do think all of your points are absolutely correct. And it's even more frustrating because like everybody who is seemingly cast in this movie could themselves carry a movie yeah. or are people that have like, either been in movies uh, i definitely want to talk about tina fey and tina fey's performance in this because i don't know man uh this is where i leave you um yeah all right we're gonna maybe we're not gonna entirely disagree but we're gonna maybe have a little bit more of a discussion about it i will yeah say. we'll have that discussion when we have that discussion but largely like everyone else like connie Britton can carry her own movie why is connie Britton in that role connie Britton than, is like, good in like the scene and a half where it actually asks her to do something Adam Connie Driver Britton's maybe my favorite performance in this movie. Adam Driver is very good and like if you had given him something more to play like uh, if you had given that character a second level on the one level he's still sometimes pretty entertaining in this movie but you feel like yeah. he can do so much more. Ditto Corey Stoll, Ditto Roseburn, Ditto obviously Jane Fonda. Um Catherine Hahn Which, like this I feel like the the like hatred or like you know the way that this movie at least positions women in this movie, the sexualization of Jane Fonda's character. The movie is so absolutely certain that it's so funny that this older lady has big boobs and likes putting them out there and that that is so funny. And it just like, I don't know, maybe if you did that in a different way where the jokes land, but like, this, does not this land. is the thing it is just becomes cringy. It feels to me like it's part and parcel of a character who embarrasses her kids with like her sexual frankness and that comes out of her identity as an author right and she has sort of always kind of been i will say this movie i kept comparing it the not the first time but definitely this time i kept comparing it negatively to the family stone which is another movie that isn't universally beloved and a lot of people do find that family structure annoying too but the family stone does a lot better with its characterizations and with making it feel like a family that exists. And the Diane Keaton character in that movie, I think is similar to that in that she is sort of extravagantly frank and sexually progressive in a way that 
often embarrasses her kids or often sort of puts them off balance a little bit. And I think that's what This Is Where I Leave You is trying to do as well. But again, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't do it all that skillfully. The writing isn't very sharp. The writing isn't incredibly funny. And without that, I think it does leave then room for interpretation of just like, oh, are we just making boob job jokes? Like, what's like, what are we doing? Well, I mean, like, Family Stone's a great comparison to this because, like, it also has a certain level of authenticity for, like, the dynamics of families with multiple siblings like this, where it's like everybody kind of has different degrees of, you know, affection and or sometimes and sometimes. The Family Stone is a movie about uh, sitting Shiva for somebody who's not dead yet. Yeah. Essentially. She's gathering her family around her for Christmas and what she knows will be her last Christmas. You don't really find this out till closer to the end of the movie. But, like, that's essentially the same structure. Yeah. It even has, like, Rachel McAdams as the sort of surly sister the way they want Tina Fey to be in this movie. Yeah. I mean, not poor Tina Fey, but, like... I I also think part of the problem is... It's a lot. the The strategy appeared to be let's get a lot of really likable actors in seemingly every role, and the ones that we can't get a Connie Britton for, we're going to hire New York theater actors who are also very good. To the point yeah. where, like Will Swenson, Will is Swenson the dad is in the a dad. I know, which means, like canonically, uh, Audra McDonald is spiritually Jason Bateman's mother in some way. Now I feel like somewhere <laughs> in some six degrees way, Audra McDonald and Jane Fonda are aligned in some yes. type of way. Yeah, makes sense. I don't normally think about this, but I did think about this a lot to the degree of which I don't buy that this is Jane Fonda's child in some of the. Oh, in, I like, don't buy of that like, most of these people are related to each other. I think that's one of the big problems with this movie. It's it's yeah. it's a it's a good collection of actors, but I think the movie really struggles in making those family connections feel real. I think it happens in fleeting moments. And maybe mm-hmm. I'll I'll talk about those as we get go along, but I think in general the movie again, I bring up the Family Stone again. I think that's a thing that the Family Stone does very well is they mm-hmm. all really really seem like a family and siblings with connections. You know how much sibling cinema appeals to me and how important Same. it is to me. That's half of the reason why I loved Nope as much as I do. Sure, Nope, nope is, is a great, great sibling movie. Yes, great sibling movie. And I think this movie really struggles in selling this family as as siblings in a way that you need it to. Because even more so than their relationships with their late father or their relationships with Jane Fonda as the mother – this movie depends on those four siblings to be the emotional core of the movie. And mm-hmm. that shortfall is a big part of the reason why the movie is as flat as it is. I think one of the things that the book probably made more pronounced and kind of gave more backbone to like the way that these characters are built is like they're all essentially when they're all back home together you know, it's stirring a lot of shit up from when they were younger or in high school. Like, I think the relationship between Tina Fey and Timothy Oliphant is not really well defined in this movie, whereas, like, it 
even though some of the better moments of the book and he has some really good moments in his character sort of isolated from other things i think again that's a point of you're casting an actor who is really good and who i think is really interesting and ultimately not really serving him super well right 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 um and then you have the rose burn character too who what is Rose Byrne doing in this character? She's like asked to just be basically Zoe Deschanel. Right. And it's like, you know, Rose Byrne can do so much more than that. And it's like, maybe Rose Byrne, who is a genius, is doing like a meta version of. You feel, uh, you the feel the movie actively resisting making her the quote unquote manic pixie dream girl. They don't give her so many quirky affectations i do wonder if there were earlier versions and maybe in the book who knows um earlier versions of this movie where that character was a little more uh you know manic pixie ish right had a little bit more quirk to her because it does feel like the movie is trying very very hard to not go too far in that direction well what i think you get is that the manic pixie dreams girl is a front it's like a front-facing uh, persona that she presents to the world, but isn't really the real her. Because, like, you see when she, like, stops doing it and, like, gets serious and yeah. is, like, you know... And when she's fucking around, that's, like, the person she right. kind of pretends to be, which... But, like, ice skating isn't that quirky. I wish I thought that quirky. was more interesting. Ice skating isn't isn't so quirky. Liking Cindy Lauper isn't so quirky. You know what I mean? And the movie sometimes right. feels like it's kind of resting on that stuff but again i also think she's incredibly likable on a scene-by-scene basis and i'm like i'm not mad when she shows up i don't really think it's any one performer's problem i think almost all of these performers are innocent we'll talk about tina fey um but i i do think that the roseburn character i kind of it kind of clicked for me why it ultimately isn't the movie ultimately doesn't work in her like I realized in her scenes, the movies like on a vibes level or on like a, what this movie is like attempting to be tonally, mm-hmm. this movie doesn't want to be the family stone. It doesn't want to be a James L. Brooks movie. This movie wants to be like garden state for 40 year olds. <laughs> and I just don't, maybe if you're not dealing with 20 characters, you could but, be that movie. But the thing but... about garden state for as much as, people may hate it or for as flawed as it is and i don't hate it although i have been even more so than american beauty garden state is the movie i'm most afraid of revisiting because i did very much (laughs) like it at the time and i really don't want to implicate myself uh by going back if i if i find it very cringy i haven't watched it probably in 15 20 years something like that and like i would be curious to revisit that movie the thing is it's just like it's probably just a movie for young people and that's fine you know and that's that's fine fine. but i also feel like that's a movie where you love him or hate him but zach braff put a lot of himself in that movie right you get the you get the really feel of the writer director star in that and you know sean levy and i don't again i think sean levy's maybe an easy person to dump on I don't want to do that. But Sean Levy, like, this is not Sean Levy writing and directing and auteuring this movie. This is, he's not that kind of a director. He's not a director who puts so much of himself 
in his movies, right? He's the Night at the Museum guy. He's the, mm-hmm. you know... Um, he- you have to wonder if, like, he clearly has, like, good relationships with people in the industry. You have to wonder if his level of clout, I guess, for lack of a better word, is part of the reason why this movie has the cast that it He's has. a director whose vibe trends more towards a producer versus a director whose vibe trends more towards a writer. I do feel like mm-hmm. there are certain directors like that where... I think Sean Levy's talents may be in, right, talent gathering, in, you know, I mean, he did, he's got an Oscar nomination for producing Arrival, you know what I mean? And a lot of that Mm -hmm. was through his production company, finding the right people to make that movie. I don't think he was ever attached to direct that movie. I think he Mm -hmm. was, you know, a big part of getting Denis Villeneuve onto that project. And so I think one of his, you know, talents more so than being this great director and again so many i mean this is you know his most recent movies i find kind of excruciating he's the guy who directed free guy right but like mm-hmm. um he's but had he makes these like amusement park right he's been very movies, successful like right? like the night at the museum movies you know are unadulterated successes right like they've they've done very well made a shit ton of money like exactly and there i feel like there's nothing wrong with those movies being what they are i just feel like maybe structurally he thinks he can make the like structure of that movie fit with a movie that is thematically and like the text of this movie like that you know and like i think this movie has a really fraught relationship between its balance with comedy and drama but like it does feel like i don't know the rhythms of it are trying to be like the rhythms of a night at the museum this movie needed a nicole holof center this movie needed somebody who has more for lack of a better term more of a soul puts more of a soul into their movies Mm -hmm. than and I know that it's based on a novel means you are necessarily coming at it from a place of the director is not going to have that kind of authorship. But yeah. there are directors who are able to sort of inject a a real, you know, streak of feeling into a movie. And I don't think that's Sean Levy's strong suit, unfortunately. Well, let's go ahead and do the plot description because then we can really get into like some plot specifics and things that don't work for us once again we're here to talk about this is where i leave you directed by sean levy written by jonathan tropper based on his own book starring jason bateman tina fey jane fonda Corey stoll Rose Byrne, Adam Driver, Connie Britton, Catherine Hahn, Deborah Monk, Timothy Oliphant, Aaron Laser, Dax Shepard, Abigail Spencer, and Ben Schwartz. That is a lot of known names to get that deep sure into a cast list. The movie was a TIFF gala uh, and then opened two weeks later wide on September 19th, 2014. Yes. Joe Reed. Yes. Are you ready to give a 60-second plot description of all of the turmoils, resentments? Yes, one second for every uh, big-name cast member. 
<laughs> All right, then. Your 60-second plot description for This Is Where I Leave You starts now. All right, so Dax Shepard and his flatter-than-it-should-be-ass is fucking Jason Bateman's wife, which is bad news, and then Jason Bateman's dad dies, which is even worse news, and he has to go home to sit Shiva for seven days with his family. Mom, Jane Fonda, who is sexually frank, an author, and got a boob job. Sister Tina Fey, who's got kids, and kind of an asshole husband, who's always on the phone. Brother Corey Stoll, who runs the family sporting goods store, and whose wife Catherine Hahn can't conceive. And youngest brother, Adam Driver, whose character bio is what if fuck boy but incredibly tall and who comes home with his older therapist girlfriend Connie Britton even though he immediately starts cheating on her with local hussies. The townies include Deborah seconds. Monk as a friend of the family and Timothy Oliphant as her son who suffered a brain injury when he was younger which led to his breakup with Tina Fey and Rose Byrne who enjoys ice skating being incredibly available for whenever Jason Bateman realizes he loves her. The family time is full of tensions and resentments. Meanwhile Jason Bateman's wife Abigail Spencer shows up and tells him she's pregnant so he's got to figure out what's to be done about that situation and also Ten it seconds. turns out Jane Fonda and Deborah Monk are late in life lesbians together and a pair of lucille bluth good for her gifts for them both other things happen and low-grade conflicts are ironed out and then jason bateman drives to maine i guess to find himself for no longer than seven days that's it you got it i got it got it all in there you uh and then it ends with him going to maine and his trip to maine signifying personal growth except this is the thing the whole thing about the idea of him driving to maine was supposedly about this like his inability to sort of just do something with an open-ended you know mission statement or whatever just sort of like take the open road and go where it takes him except we've already established that he's got to be back within a week to give you know to get with rose Byrne, and then also so you're just being irresponsible and then also <laughs> to well i don't think he's being irresponsible i think he's being you know free on the open road for a very limited window of time which feels very regimented right he's going to be back in a week to be with roseburn and also his wife is pregnant and he's going to have to you know raise you know help her with the baby which he's already made a firm commitment to so it's like enjoy maine but like it's going to take you a day to drive there and a day to drive back so like very instigay sudden vacation (laughs) yeah 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 well exactly um so yeah. Jane Fonda, Deborah Monk, the most demure lesbians I have ever seen. On I will say this. Deborah Monk gets maybe three scenes worth of work. Her her biggest scene of substance is the one early on where she's in the kitchen with Jason Bateman. And it's literally like she gets maybe five lines in that. She's incredibly good in those five lines. And it's it's like, it's not a whole lot of heavy lifting. It's a lot of just like very naturalistic stuff. And immediately I'm just like, I want to watch a whole movie about this, this woman's character. About the neighbor friend. Yeah. I think she's, again, this is what this project is doing with the cast, which is that like, we're going to bring in these incredibly talented actors and hopefully they can make every scene work as well as that one does. And ultimately they can't, but I do appreciate the moments where, um, where it does seem to work. I will also shout out, and this is jumping to the end of the movie and this is maybe corny and whatever, but like it worked for me. The thing with, Jason Bateman and Adam Driver touching foreheads the way that their dad would do with them. I thought mm-hmm. that movie moment at the end of the movie and Driver's like, are we doing this ironically? And Bateman's like, you can tell yourself that. And then Driver starts to choke up just a little bit and then runs back into the house. I was like, okay, well, that got me. Like, that was good. Um, but again, those moments are so fleeting and have no connective tissue between them that it's hard to feel all that satisfied with them. Which is too bad. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, 
So at this point, Driver is also just a New York theater actor plus girls. That's one thing about this cast that I will say is it is a kind of shocking assemblage of people who are famous from TV. Um, yeah. Or like we're working in TV because Jane Fonda is also doing the newsroom at this time, even though she's Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda was on the newsroom at this time. Catherine Hahn was on Transparent at this time. Um, Transparent wasn't yet. 2014? Uh, let me look. I thought so. No. Transparent wasn't that long ago, was the thing. Transparent premiered in February of 2014, my friend. So I guess maybe oh, she... Yeah, and she shows up by the end of that first season, I'm pretty sure, so... That's right, because Transparent had, like, a million years between seasons. And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I think damages had been had was done by this, so Roseburn wasn't on that anymore. But um yeah, this is a really interesting moment in Adam Driver's career specifically, where Girls kicks off in early 2012, I wanna say. And he had been mm-hmm. sort of a darling of New York theater for a good year or two leading up to that. I saw him as Lewis and Angels in America. I'm very jealous that you did. Um, he was incredible. I didn't see him on theater until recently. He was in that play with um, Carrie Russell. and uh, The Burn This Revival. Yes, right? which he was very, very good in, I thought. Um, 2012, he's in, very briefly, both Lincoln. He's the one in the at the end of the trailer for Lincoln, where he, like... Uh, is having that sort of like quiet moment with Lincoln that they put in the trailer. And by then, again, yeah. that's the end of 2012. So we already know Adam Driver as like the fuckboy asshole from Girls. Like he hadn't even been redeemed on Girls yet. You know what I mean? By the no. end of that series, I think Adam gets redeemed decently well on that show. Um, but Though that hadn't he happened yet. And uh, what's that character's name? Uh, Jessa? Basically, yes. She, he and Jessa basically just like live in a cesspool together by the end. I love talk enough about I Jessa. loved Adam and Jessa. I like, for as much as I hate shows that shouldn't be about shipping to become about shipping, by the end of that show, I was like, I only care about Adam and Jessa being happy. Like, that's the only thing I give a shit about. Um, I mean,. I liked that relationship. I thought they were they they fit each other in a surprising way. Oh, totally! But like in a way that they're both like dumpster people. Eh, I always know, liked they're... them a little bit more than maybe I was supposed to. But there's a good core to them. But like they're always gonna they were also make by far the best actors in that ensemble. Like by a good margin. I always thought. I know that Marnie is maybe even more unlikable than uh hannah it's a close is. competition for sure i but always I hated shoshana allison the most, williams yeah. allison williams made an impossible character just like shockingly uh natural uh, I, I won't i won't disagree but like that's a whole other conversation we can't get into the girls right. conversation we can't get into girls we can't we 2013 can't driver shows up He's very funny in his brief moment in Inside Lewin Davis. Obviously, Outer Space becomes uh, a fun little meme for all of us. But he's also in um, that movie that was in Canada was titled The F Word, but it was released in the States as What If, which was Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan in what I thought was a pretty charming 
rom-com that got mostly slept on by people. And Adam Driver and Mackenzie Davis... I am one of them. I never saw it. Oh my god. Chris, check it out. I think you might really like it. Unless you really hate Daniel Radcliffe, which like, I don't... I have no opinion on Daniel Radcliffe. Give it a shot then. Give it it an open-hearted non-judgmental look and and see what you think of it. Adam Driver and Mackenzie Davis play the sort of like secondary couple who are so wonderful and so entertaining. And um, I really loved it. I love them both. Uh, and then 2014, he's in While We're Young, which is the Noah Baumbach movie, where he gets cast essentially as the embodiment of empty, millennial, faux artist Joe Swanberg avatar uh <laughs> object of Noah Baumbach's derision, right? Um, and does that? I don't love that movie, but please feel free to drag Noah, or feel free to drag Joe Swanberg. I like certain projects of Joe Swanberg. I'm not going to drag Joe Swanberg. I think Noah Baumbach would like to, and I think that's mostly the point of While We're Young. Um, he's also in a movie that uh, played Venice and also Tribeca called Hungry Hearts that I thought he was really, really good in. Have you ever seen that movie? Didn't he and the lead actress win, like, the Venice acting prizes? I think that's right. Yes, they did. It's a really heavy movie about uh, postpartum depression, but um, the acting is really, really good in it, uh, I thought. And then This Is Where I Leave You is sort of the, um, well, While We're Young, While We're Young comes out the next year, right? Wide. While We're Young, I think, premiered in 2013, but didn't get released until the spring of 2014. I think it's the opposite, because I was at the TIFF that it premiered, and or I think not the opposite, but the next year. It premiered at TIFF 2014, and then in the States 2015, because I wasn't at the TIFF in 2013. And I definitely went to the oh, premiere okay. of this movie. Um, it was oh, the okay. first big uh, gala premiere I went to at, uh, at TIFF ever. Um, so then This Is Why I Leave You ha- uh, was the final movie of this year. And then he got cast in star Wars and his, you Mm -hmm. know, his career sort of took a, took a jump from there. Where do you, where do you come down on driver's performance? And this is where I leave you. There are moments where I feel like, Oh, he's, this is great. And then there are moments where I was like, this is a mostly missed opportunity. Um, I do think it's ultimately a missed opportunity, but I think he comes out probably more unscathed than most of the cast. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's very likable. I think the the moments where he's sort of, I think for lack of a more fleshed out character, I think he, you can see the moments where he just decides to be weird as something to do. I think when he greets his mother at the funeral with this sort of like open arms and and calls her mommy and whatever and is very sort of ostentatiously again, he's like he's a fuckboy, essentially. He's sort of the fuckboy. It's of the wild family. to me that for a movie that has so many performers that are known for being great at comedy, it feels like he's the only one who might be improving mm-hmm. at moments. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I do feel like Faye and Bateman have their moments of this very sort of like relaxed and easy chemistry. The problem with that is their scenes often have to do the heavy lifting of like moving the emotional Mm. beats for the movie, which 
is there's too many scenes where they ask Tina Fey to cry. And this is the, okay, not in her. This skill is set. this is where we're going to have this conversation. I absolutely agree with you. I think the thing about Tina Fey in this movie is when she is asked to be sardonically funny, I think she hits the nail on the head every time. All of those line readings where she's sort of given a sarcastic aside, or even when she's like princess cut bitch after she hits Death Shepherd or whatever, like nail hits the nail on the head i think she's i would also say like when she is allowed to be funny in this movie you also can buy her as the like tough big sister yeah right like yeah. But when she has to be sensitive it's like the entire characterization goes out the window but like for a movie that never asks jason bateman to cry never asks Corey stoll to cry only gets J- uh, Adam Driver to sort of choke up a little bit at the very end. Never really asks Jane Fonda to cry. Why are we asking Tina Fey, who is not good at this, to do it five times in the movie? Like it's she's introduced in the movie with a really bad fake cry. She can't do it. She just cannot do it. And I think it was on Sean Levy to realize this and to work around it because you are hanging this woman out to dry by making her do this so many times, and she is just demonstrably not good at it. And the movie doesn't even like cut away from her or like do anything to help her out it really is just sort of like leaving her there on screen to flounder and i felt really really bad because i think again she's the only one of these siblings who breaks down in this way and it's so multiple it's glaring multiple reasons and it's so glaring every single time and it's too bad because i do feel like she is good when her character is you know sardonic and funny and dark and and all that sort of other stuff i mean like it does feel like it's that is more of her lane even though like i don't think actors should have lanes um i think it's, it's fine for and actors and like, I to do i think it's fine i mean i do i don't need every actor I, to be so adaptive uh, like top tier ones yes but like <laughs> I think it's fine, especially for comedic actors, to have the things that they are good at. Right. But, I mean, I definitely completely think you are uh, you are right about it's a directing problem, too. Because why wouldn't you... There are ways to work around just this. Re- it just, well, it's also clearly a character choice. It's like, it doesn't look, it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like Tina Fey wants to just be crying in all of mm-hmm. these scenes. Yep. And, like... You go for what is the natural thing? What is going to actually bring out the character that she is playing? And, like, just let Tina Fey do her thing, at the very least. Because it's like, that's the moments when we actually understand who this woman is. And it doesn't feel like a square peg being shoved into a round hole. And, like... Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Um, Where do you come down on Bateman as the center of this movie? I'm not a Bateman fan. I in think anything? He, not in anything, but I, I think when he is cast very well and appropriately, I think he can be exactly right. I think he's great in Juno. Um, See, I think he's tremendous in Arrested Development, and I think this movie wants him to do something similar, which is ask him to be the sort of low-key eye of this hurricane of dysfunctional family members. And because the volume is so low on the other family members, it doesn't 
you like you've you've missed that vibe right like it needs to be either a complete farce or yeah. you know you're just casting the wrong actor i don't know who else you kind of cast considering the hurricane that's surrounding that eye mm-hmm. and like it, it i don't know it seems like the easy choice and that's maybe my hang up with jason bateman is when you see him in a lot of things he's always kind of well the easy choice for this role but i've felt doesn't bring enough interesting texture to it like i think this movie specifically needs yeah i don't disagree i except for the fact that like if i saw this on paper i would be like yeah you cast jason bateman for that like that's sort of who and maybe it is sort of the arrested development of it all that does it but i think he's capable of playing the emotional beats that he's as a sort of quasi romantic comedy lead. I think he's very average, but I think you can work with average. That role Mm -hmm. is not the kind of role that needs to be spectacular. If you have ensemble characters who are well fleshed out and who are, you know, who are bringing Mm -hmm. it. And I think his romance with Rose Byrne is fine. I think his scenes with Abigail Spencer are fine. I think his scenes with Tina Fey, like I said, are actually pretty good. I think they have a good, you know, rapport with one another. I think, again, as I said, the problem with there is that like all of those scenes are just sort of like talking about the major themes of the movie in terms of like, laying out what Jason Bateman's character's problem is. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and ultimately it's like, oh God, like you've got maybe your two most like comedy ready performers and you're asking them to talk about like why Judd doesn't do well with complicated in his life. And it's like oh, this like you could be doing more and funnier. Well I don't I don't know if he is an actor who brings a lot of emotional depth or a lot of like yeah emotion under the surface of things. Yes, yeah, that's fair. To uh the characters he plays and I do think and I mean maybe he does in something where it's like he's uh playing like a complex note like in Juno, mm-hmm. but in this it's just like i don't know you need someone who uh, like has a screen presence of when you see them you know that they're dealing with some shit like that has like i don't know and it's uh, a performer that like brings an emotional core to everything they do to make a character like this actually work and be someone that like we're interested in like his growth i don't think that this character's uh like i don't think we get invested in his the emotional point that he is supposed to get to and partly that's the limitations of the actor playing him yeah i think that's probably true um all right moving on down the sibling line i suppose cory stole <laughs> in this movie i feel mostly bad for because ultimately This is the the stick-in-the-mud character, right? This is not a character who is going to, even in the best circumstances, pop 
more often than not, he's just sort of the guy who's there to be frustrated by other people. He's the one on the page. He doesn't bring much to the family dynamic. Right. Like you could, you could solve a lot of problems by writing out this character. Right. Except I think the story really wants to hold on to that idea of the store and the legacy. And then, you know, you need Adam driver to have somebody to sort of, bounce off of and and rebel against who isn't jason bateman's character because you don't want that like he's got enough conflict to deal with everywhere else he doesn't need to have this major thread where he and adam driver are beefing or whatever um cory stoll's an actor i've always liked and this was again Mm -hmm. he was kind of emergent at this point in his career the first thing i had ever seen him in was midnight in paris playing ernest hemingway and he's tremendous. Had you seen him in anything before that? Uh, House of Cards was the first time that I saw him. And of course, he is killed in the first season, but he is fantastic in that first season. And it's like, it felt, I remember watching that season and feeling like this is a next major actor. So had you like, not seen Midnight like, in Paris for a while after it came out? I saw that movie late. Okay. I saw that really late. Like, I don't think I even saw that movie until after the Oscars, for whatever yeah, reason. because House of Cards was, was like, 2013, so it would have been a good deal later, a couple years right. later. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember it, I seeing it late and not being particularly charmed by it in the way that everybody thought that that movie was so charming. Yeah, I think the parts um, of Midnight in Paris that I like, I really like. And that's Corey Stoll, Adrian Brody as Dolly. Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates, um, Tom Hiddleston and Alison Pill as F. Scott and Zelda Fitzgerald. All of that I really loved. Everything else to do with Owen Wilson and Rachel McAdams got... Sucks. Talk, I mean, you want to talk about a movie that hates women. Like, Rachel McAdams' yeah. character in that movie is... A prime example of that. Um, but I thought Stoll, to me, was the standout as Hemingway in that. I thought he was incredibly funny and, and you know, I thought it was a very skillful performance. So from there, he's in House of Cards, as you mentioned. He sort of starts showing up in smaller roles in movies that I'm seeing more and more. He's in The Bourne Legacy. He's in Nonstop, the movie where uh, Liam Neeson has to uh, avert an air disaster on an airplane that is, like, shockingly well cast. Nonstop is Liam Neeson, Julianne Moore, Lupita Nyong'o, right after she won the Oscar. She had already made this movie by then. Um, Corey Stoll, Michelle Dockery, Scoot McNary. Like, it's an insane Linus Roche. It's an insane cast. We love Scoot. Um, nonstop was so fun. Um, and then TV, he had done House of Cards. And then he had also been in a production of A View from the Bridge on Broadway, which starred... Give me a second. Scar- oh, that was the one that Scarlett Johansson won the Tony Award for, was um, was that revival. What does she call Ryan Reynolds in her Tony speech? The Canadian that lives in my house. Is that what or something? She said? It's something like that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, actually, give me a second because now I'm looking and I'm seeing that that production was Scarlett Johansson, Leah Schreiber, and Jessica Hex. So I wonder if he was like a. Um, so yeah, Leah Schreiber is the lead, the male lead in that, and then Corey Stoll played a supporting role in that. But yes. Scarlett Johansson won the Tony. Did Scarlett Johansson win the Tony the same year as Catherine Zeta-Jones? And then that was the big story that like all our Hollywood stars are coming for our Tony Awards. 
I feel like I remember that. I forget that. if that was the same year. I feel like it oh, might have please. been. That was what, the 2010 Tonys? Scarlett Johansson is at least in the... Like, kicked off the thing of movie stars are coming for all of our Tony Awards. But it's like, if you in the theater community are feeling that way, why vote for Scarlett Johansson to begin with? Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So, yes, Scarlett Johansson won... Catherine Zeta-Jones won. Also, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis won for Fences. Also, even though it's kind of a backwards way, Eddie Redmayne also won for Red that year. And, like, he wouldn't become sort of the movie guy until after. That sort of helped launch him into becoming a leading man in movies, but still. And this is still at the time that Viola Davis was considered more of a theater actress, but she would have had an Oscar nomination. Right, I was going to, yeah, she had she had, had one Oscar nomination and was about to get her second one for the help. Yeah. So, yeah. yes. Uh, but I think in general, I think I think any of those in isolation probably wouldn't have led to that. Maybe Scarlett Johansson on her own. But, like, the accumulation of all of that at once, where it was, like, five Tony Awards are going to you know but she's she won a supporting tony and like when like all of the not think pieces but when all of the stories of that were running she's the photo that they use yes scarlet yes yeah 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 yeah. um oh that was the same year remember we talked about in the martha marcy may marlene episode maria dizia getting nominated for the vibrator play that was that year scarlet beat her out for that so um and, Ooh, and I think also probably yeah. what played into it was Scarlett was nominated alongside her co-star, who was Jessica Hecht, who is far more also of a, a legend, far more of a theater Broadway actress. I imagine people in the community there was probably a good good deal of resentment uh, among that. Don't, don't vote for Scarlett Johansson, like well, I don't vote for the. Maybe Tonys. I don't understand how the Tonys. Work. I do feel like yes, I I almost. I almost literally said something completely off the top of my head that I had no factual basis for, and I stopped myself because I was like, Joe, you don't know that. You're only assuming that. Do not speak like you know who votes for the Tony Awards, because you definitely don't. What I do understand about how the Tonys are voted on is that there are... There's, like, nominating committees, but then I think it's a broader voting body that picks a winner. Which is the case for a lot of things. The SAG Awards are like that, um... BAFTA now. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, back to the This Is Where I Leave You cast. Um, I think we both mentioned we both like Connie Britton for the limited range of which she mm-hmm. is allowed to show her stuff in this. I do like... This is where I maybe push back a little bit at the idea that this movie hates women, because I feel like this movie allows that character more grace than a movie sometimes gives that character. Sure. I think that sure. scene with her and Jason Bateman where she's like, and she even, she gets two, she gets a scene with Tina Fey and a scene with Jason, scene with, J- J- oh my God, I can't talk. A scene with Tina Fey and a scene with Jason Bateman. And both of them, she's like, listen, I'm not an idiot. I'm not some, you know, floozy. I'm not this sort of caricature that you may think that I am. I know what this looks like. I know what this is. And yet my feelings are my feelings. And I fell in mm-hmm. love with this idiot. And I think in the Tina Fey conversation, she's sort of trying to convince Tina Fey, but also herself. And in the Jason Bateman conversation, she's sort of admitting defeat, right? She's just being like, yeah. well, you know, this is not going to work. And the movie allows her a level of grace that other movies, maybe even other better movies, 
wouldn't make time for with that character. And I did appreciate that. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like my appreciation of that, though, comes from her performance, because, like, Connie Britton feels like the only conceivable human person, um, sadly. Like, uh, other people are given uh, more to do in this movie, but, like, they don't feel like people in the way that she does giving that performance. So I would still put it on the performer. Yeah. Is this our first Connie Britton? I feel like Connie Britton has shown up in something. I literally was just making the list uh, earlier, so hold on a second and I'll tell you in two shades. It luckily is not our first Catherine Hahn, because this would be shameful to be the first Catherine Hahn movie. That it is, I think, our first Connie Britton. Asks her to do. Yeah, it's our third Adam Driver. It is our fourth Catherine Hahn. Um... Yeah, I think that's the it's for as starry as this cast is, we haven't done most of these people uh very mm-hmm. much on this podcast. So that makes it Not interesting. Not a lot of opportunities to do Jane Fonda. I was going to say it's only our kind second of a Jane shameful Fonda. shameful Jane Fonda. Okay, let's get into the Jane Fonda thing because her career is very it's easy to talk about in the fact that she was gone for 15 years, right? So then Mm -hmm. it's very easy to sort of segment her career as this sort of like, what's late Jane Fonda? Well, it's everything from Monster-in-Law and after, right? And so (laughs) 2005 Monster-in-Law, we just literally talked about this when we were on with Billy Ray, how much I do enjoy Monster-in-Law. And then she works, she's been working really steadily ever since for a woman who is, I'm just checking her age now because I want to make sure... I get it right, but it's like, I always remember being like, yeah, she's 84 years old. This is an 84-year-old woman who is working steadily and working, I would say, quite well. Um, Icon. Monster-in-Law in in 05. Georgia Rule in 07, where she's not only, like, in this movie, but in this, like, media firestorm, right? With all the Lindsay Lohan Mm -hmm. stuff and whatnot. Uh, She plays Nancy Reagan in The Butler. Whenever we do our Scattergories games, I always remember uh, uh, to bring that up. Or uh, Actually, that's that's so much fun when I do alter egos that I can just... uh, uh, anybody from the butler who has it played like it's been a year since we've done category it probably has be been like hey guys should, remember zoom let's do zoom we should do let's that do again uh this is where i leave you was 14 the following year she comes incredibly close to getting an oscar nomination it's the one thing that hasn't happened in the this late stage of her career is she hasn't gotten another oscar nomination since coming back she came very mm-hmm. close for youth i was very conflicted i think on a global level i would like jane fonda to have another oscar nomination for this phase of her career i I hated that movie and i thought that movie movie. made her a grotesque in a way that i did Mm -hmm. not appreciate um even though i agree i think on a performance level it's pretty good but like um anyway she's in a movie i'm pretty sure i'm the only person who saw which was our souls at night which was one of those uh, Netflix movies that never existed for anybody. She and Robert Redford mm-hmm. play an older couple who I believe they're both widow and widower, I feel like. And then they start. I believe you and my mother have seen that movie because <laughs> I definitely have gotten a text message from my mother saying, Have you seen this movie, Our Souls at Night? I was like, Mom, this sounds like a horror movie. What are you watching? She's like, Actually, it's a rope. It does sound like a horror movie. Yeah, he's a widower. She's a widow. They live like next door to each other, essentially. And they, they begin a romance. Um, 2018, she's in Book Club, a movie that I found far more entertaining than I had any right to. 
Uh, if you're ever looking for a Good movie, horny Jane Fonda if, is in book club. Yes, if you're ever looking for a movie where Mary Steenburgen and Craig T. Nelson dance to Meatloaf, that is your movie. If you're ever looking for movies that make the title of Werner Herzog documentaries into vagina jokes, that is a movie for you. <laughs> Cannot wait for Book Club 2, by the way. Uh, she's in the upcoming movie 80 for Brady, which is a movie about four seniors who take a road trip to Houston to watch a Tom Brady football game, to watch Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl. It is Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Rita Moreno, and Sally Field. I hate Tom Brady, but I will absolutely be watching this movie. <laughs> I do not I do not want to support any kind of Tom Brady hero worship, and yet I will absolutely see that movie. Sally Kirkland is also in that movie. Bob Balaban. What? Sally Kirkland, Bob Balaban, Glenn Turman, uh, Ron Funches, who I find delightful, Harry Hamlin, Billy Porter. Conceivably, Tom Brady is in a scene of this movie, so it's fine. But yeah. wow, we're watching this movie. Um, yeah. Jane Fonda, her last Oscar nomination was, I believe, uh, 87? The Morning After? The Morning After. Which I've never seen. The Morning After. Is it good? A complete, like, piece of shit movie <laughs> that is fully watchable and entertaining on the back of Jane Fonda. She makes that movie and like Sydney Lumet, huh? Basically, Interesting. Uh, huh? Sydney Lumet. Right. It's like a thriller where she wakes up from a blackout and thinks that she killed someone, you know, basically the flight attendant. But like right. it's not a good movie, but like she actually is really good and gets this Oscar nomination for this piece of shit movie that like, Honestly, Purely because she is entertaining in a movie star way that is so rare that, like, you and I talk about and we appreciate yeah. it. It's like Viola Davis and Widows. Like, yeah, it, it's kind of a cool nomination for a terrible movie. Honestly, Jane Fonda, Jeff Bridges, Raul Julia in a Sidney Lumet movie, I will probably seek this out. Like, I will... Right. I will. I've been meaning to do my project where I go backwards through all the best actress nominations and and see them in reverse chronological, the ones that I haven't seen. So I want to do that too. Maybe we need a a, a shared project. Maybe. Um, imagine the eyes of Laura Mars <gasps> stripped of all of its like okay. excesses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's kind of the vibe of Morning After. Okay. That's what you're going. Uh, while at the same time, we mentioned er also earlier, uh, she had been co-starring on The Newsroom as Leona Lansing, the owner of the cable company that this news station is on. She gets a couple of Emmy nominations for that. Does she deserve them? Who's to say what deserve means? Um, <laughs> the Newsroom is a show that I found at times unbearable and also quite compelling and and it is really all over the map and a lot of people couldn't stand it the worst of sorkin yada 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 i don't disagree and yet that second season i'm just gonna say it slaps um grace and frankie premieres in 2015 my mother's favorite show I love that is a that show lasted 94 episodes over seven seasons it was never worse than 
pretty good. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it, it had a nice little baseline level. She and Lily Tomlin had, of course, perpetually watchable. wonderful chemistry together. I think at the beginning, a lot of people, especially a lot of like gay people that I saw who tried out that movie were really edgy about the Sam Waterston, Martin Sheen gay relationship in that. I will confess to being one of those. People I thought it was I fine. Watching. I thought they were fine. I thought they were, you know, uh, dorky old gays of certain age trying to that is a story where gay characters sort of trying to find their way in a world that they're unfamiliar with made a lot of sense in a way that like this neil patrick harris show for uh, netflix where he's newly single in his 40s and trying out the dating scene and is sort of bewildered and and repulsed by everything that he finds okay so Everybody talks about 30 Rock jokes. That show felt like an other two joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. It's so obnoxious. I think there are television shows and things in the culture now that I'm like, that sounds like an other two joke. Yeah. It's such an obnoxious show. I really couldn't stand it. Um, Yeah. So Jane's also, she had also, didn't she do something on Broadway around that time? She got a yes. Tony nomination for the Moises Kaufman show. Um, yes, variations, something about variations. Yes, a show that I don't remember people liking, but it was like, but it's Jane Fonda. Yes, <laughs> live in the flesh in front of you. Yes, um, I feel like she was nominated and lost to Marsha Gay Harden. Hold on, now I'm going to pull up IVDB. I'm trying to again learn the lesson to not speak out of my ass when I could just look things up. And Marsha Gay Harden tackling her entire cast, dealing with puke on stage in God of Carnage was very transcendent for me. She absolutely earned that Tony Award. I thought she was so good. That was the Tony Awards where she was up against Harriet Walter and who was Hope the Davis. other nominee for what's that? Hope right, Davis. but Harriet Walter and the other woman in Mary Stewart were both Janet nominated. McTeer. Janet McTeer, and when they read the nominations, they showed Janet McTeer when they read Harriet Walter, and then <laughs> and it's one of those things where the camera is in the aisle and the women are seated right in front of each other, so the camera's on the one and then moves to the other, and they were it was totally backwards, and you could see the awkwardness on the faces of both of these women as they're like, oh my god. <laughs> like, he's on you when they say me, and he's on me and they say you. And Marsha Gay Harden, to her endless class and wonderfulness, corrected that from the stage after she won. She said, like, oh, uh, the, the camera didn't, didn't show their faces right, but our wonderful actresses, Harriet Walter and, and Janet McTeer, which was great. Why am I not getting, oh, here we go. 33 variations is what it was called. Sure. Um, she was nominated for the Tony Award in, yes, 1999. It was her second Tony it, nomination. Uh, after 1960, There Was a Little Girl. So There go. once was a little girl. Um, until I turn 40, I think I'm going to take this joke that now only you and our listeners will understand. Like, next year I'm not turning 36, I'm turning 36 variations. <laughs> Very good uh endless endless variations and permutations anything else to say about the supporting cast we both feel like Catherine hahn was done dirty by this movie uh we both like deborah monk i thought oliphant was great um poor ben schwartz Timothy oliphant. that character had more of effect on the book 
than in this movie. Yeah. Oh, so that, that's a storyline that plays better in the book? I think so, yeah. yeah. Or they at least define that character a little bit more, because I mm-hmm. still feel like, uh, uh, even reading the book, when he shows up in the movie, I'm like, who's this guy? Oh, yeah. 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 The, the guy who has the traumatic head injury. Poor Ben Schwartz gets hit in the dick by Adam Driver countless times in this movie. This is a movie that thinks it's funny to call a character boner. Like, I thought that was so embarrassing. Like, that is a decades-old joke. That was a joke on growing pains, y'all. Like, that is how <laughs> freaky that joke is. Like, do better. And it's too bad because I do... I ben, I love Ben Schwartz. Anytime he shows up in something, I, I tend to really love him. So, um, that was too bad. Yeah, it just in general is a movie that, again, I can be very actor-focused. And so when I see a movie with a cast like this, I get very excited, even though I was kind of... So this was this gala premiered at the 2014 Toronto Film Festival, which was my first. Um, that was the year that I went and bought <laughs> tickets because I did not get press approved. Um, and so did I you was... Did see this at that TIFF, or did you... I didn't. Wait I, I had to be... Weeks. so. Here's where a, a, a brag and a and a shame in the same in the same sentence. <laughs> I had to be very choosy about the things that I saw at this because I wasn't able to see everything and things cost money or I had to like wait in yeah. very long rush lines for things, right? So of and the, lose a whole day to that, right? So I had to make my choices. The galas I saw, um, I didn't see very many, and I didn't go to the galas, right? I had to like find other you know, screenings for him. But I saw Foxcatcher, and I saw Wild, and I... Oh, the Riot Club was a gala. I definitely saw a, cr- a press screen... Or no, it wasn't a press screening, because I didn't... I only... I had to rush the press screenings. Uh, uh, Lona Scherfig's The Riot Club, um, which was the director of an education who followed that up with this movie about these, like, rich white british oxford kids who like uh like bullied their way around this like secret society or whatever but it was like sam claflin max irons douglas booth like all these actors these young british actors who looked exactly the same um and even the name of our game we always play with katie rich the right (laughs) indistinguishable (laughs) basically sam claflin max irons douglas booth and as as it goes down the list I think it gets more interesting. It is a movie that stars both Ben Schnetzer and Freddie Fox, who were both in Pride. So, like, they get an eternal pass from me. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. And, like, Ali Alexander's in it. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, that kind of thing. The women are Jessica Brown Finley from Downton Abbey. Holiday Granger, who is, like, forever, wow. like... How, you if you could do the same game with like young British actresses of a certain where it's like mm-hmm. Holiday Granger, Tuppence Middleton, um oh is Holiday Granger the one who's in Tulip Fever or am I thinking of somebody else? This is the question. This is why you play the game. Um anyway, anyway, the Riot Club was one of those. So I made the active decision to like I put maps to the stars off because I knew it would be at New York Film Festival. Um I think I put off something else because I knew I would be able to see it. And I put off, this is where I leave you, because A, it was opening like the next week. So I knew I'd be able to see it soon. And B, I think seeing the Sean Levy of it all, I was like, I'm not going to get fooled by this starry (laughs) cast. And ultimately, I was right. And that's a brag. But I 
will deflate myself a little bit because at that very same festival, I decided to see the film Black or White by... Oh, no. Uh, Mark Binder. The Mike Binder movie, which starred Kevin Costner and Octavia Spencer. Uh, he, as the grandfather of... their but They're each grandparents of this granddaughter who they have in common, who the parents die and there's a custody battle. Uh, or... Kevin Costner's, I think it's Kevin Costner's daughter dies, and Octavia Spencer's son is maybe, like, not fit, so she's raising the kid, and then Kevin Costner sues her for custody, and it's like, but what of the racial implications? And it's handled so ham-fistedly, and I remember seeing I that seen it i i ran for the hills from that movie you, you made the right decision it was it was really bad anyway um some interesting other gala presentations at that tiff the i i remember showing up for my first tiff going to pick up my tickets on king street and of course everything is adorned with tiff stuff and there are posters and there are whatever and i was sort of like ooing and eyeing my very first major film festival and i remember being so struck by this like giant like like horizontal wide poster for the equalizer and i'm like that's so weird denzel washington holding a gun it's so weird that that was a festival movie that was one of the galas um, I mentioned Foxcatcher, Infinitely Polar Bear, famous eventual Golden Globe nominee, Mark Ruffalo for Infinitely Polar Bear. Uh, the Judge, which I knew I was going to stay away Tip from. opener. Even though that would have saved me some time because eventually I had to see it because Robert Duvall was a Oscar nominee for it. Laggies, which I didn't see there, but I saw later the Lynn Shelton movie Laggies, which I really liked. Which I still need to see. Oh, Kira Knightley, Chloe Moretz, Sam Rockwell. It's really good. I like. I know. It. I'll, I know. I'll like it. I know. I'll like it. The closing night film was a little chaos. The Alan Rickman movie, a little chaos, where which uh, I want to see. Kate Winslet uh, designs the garden for Versailles. It is a good little movie. I didn't see it there. I saw it uh, a little while later. Uh, friend of the show, Richard Lawson. Uh, invited me to the premiere in new york and lovely i came within like an arm's length of kate winslet that was very fun uh wonderful score for that film i will say i will always dip into the score for a little chaos um pawn sacrifice the edward zwick movie pawn sacrifice about the edward zwick chess movie yeah yes um what else what else wild i mentioned yeah so big successes were sort of hard to come by i think the big ones were foxcatcher and wild in terms of what translated to oscar success that year what was the oh the audience award went to the imitation game that year which was not a gala premiere that was just a special presentation i only just realized in assembling our outline for this episode we've kind of accidentally until next week's episode that ends august every episode we've done has been a tiff gala this month we almost accidentally had a theme wow leading up to our grand return to to our favorite place that's wonderful um anything else we want to talk about in terms of wait let me go into my notes because i feel like i wrote down some things um about this is where i leave you um i did like rose burns uh song choices for ice skating both time after time and never tear us apart i enjoyed that um oh my when i mentioned the family stone is like the best version of this i feel like there's like a goofus and gallant sort of dichotomy of 
family movies like this and the good version is the family stone and the bad version is dan in real life and i feel like this field this movie <laughs> see dan in real life uh had a real dan in real life vibe to it um just a lot of really cliched scenes like i said the brawl on the front lawn is a scene we've seen in so many things the smoking weed in the back room and bonding scene is a thing yeah. we've seen in so many things um it was a little... The ice skating is a scene we've seen in so many different yes, things. Yes, absolutely. Like... Uh, I do appreciate that Tina Fey got to tweak Adam Driver's nipple in a movie. Like, that was nice and good for her. Um... <laughs> oh, Sean Levy. I sort of delved into his uh, little history for a little bit. Not the most interesting of filmmakers, but like I said, incredibly successful producer on Arrival. He also had a brief bit of an acting career, and the fun little tidbit there was Uh he was in the episode of Beverly Hills 90210 where they walk out in support of Donna Martin, who was drunk at prom. Like oh. he's in the Donna Martin graduates episode where he like he and his other counterpart rally the junior class members to join the seniors in their walkout in support of Donna <laughs> because the the lines of division are so clear. Well, the, the juniors were uh, uh God, it's amazing how much I remember about that episode. The juniors resented the juniors were more sort of agitated and active and they all resented the seniors for having one foot out the door and they were like, well, if you go to bat for your friend who was drunk at prom, uh, also demand that they uh, cancel the dress code that they're going to implement and we'll join you and whatever. Um, but that's a f- I remember once I looked up Sean Levy 90210 on Google and I saw the face, I'm like, I remember that guy. Like that was he was in that episode. Um, what else? I think that's it. What else do you have about? Uh, you mentioned Dax Shepard's uh, surprisingly flat ass, and you were right to do so. Yeah, I feel bad. I don't want to like body shame people, but like from the looks of the rest of him, he got so like pumped up at this stage of his career. He was very like gym it body. Could just be the, the camera angle. The the Sean Levy. That's very was Not uh, you know friendly uh, in his yeah. uh, shot angle. Um, Adam Driver enters this movie listening to DMX. Yes, rest in peace, DMX. Uh, just more of the cringe sexualization that happens in this movie, and also scenes that are in a million other movies. The baby monitor scene. Oh, right. This movie it's in the feels trailer. like it thinks that sexual humiliation is so funny in a way that almost feels like Porky's or something. There's, you know, Corey Stoll and Katherine Hahn finally having you know sex or whatever and it gets caught on a baby monitor which then like when they try to turn it off it has backup batteries so it's like they have to basically break the thing i did think that was one of those good tina fey lines is where deborah monk unplugs the baby monitor and it keeps going and she looks at her and she just goes backup batteries like she was very good at all of those kind of lines in this movie also why is that baby monitor there doesn't the dad take the babies when he leaves that dad comes and goes in this movie like apparates and disapparates at will like sometimes he exists and sometimes he doesn't and it's just total random. plot device yes uh, tina fey married to aaron laser nice work if you can get it what do i know um, him from he is a new york theater actor i see he replaced matthew morrison in light in the piazza i never saw light in the piazza that was before i moved to the well, city well and you can't watch it now because some sadist some cruel person <clears throat> some 
dictatorial asshole removed the PBS uh, version from YouTube, and I am not in the least bit uh, resentful of that. Um, Anyway, he is in that production that was on PBS. Um, Light in the Piazza, uh, to my mind, the great unfilmed uh, movie musical. Uh, It would be a perfect movie. Um, Anyway, that just like having Catherine Hahn scream, put a baby in me. Yeah. It felt like Sean Levy one star to merit. It felt like Sean Levy saw Step Brothers the week before he cast this movie and decided we're going to cast Catherine Hahn and we're going to make that character her Step Brothers character. Like yeah. the scene where she comes on to Jason Bateman is directly out of that movie. Like it's directly right. her well, coming it's out on of the book too. God, that's annoying. But uh, yeah. like the tone of it all even just sort of like plays exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, and it's it, it's just a, like a humiliating. Was this a well regarded book? I kind of had no experience of it as a novel. I read it because I saw it recommended in EW. Interesting. So, like, I think it's a book that sold. Yeah. Um, just a little more history on the movie before it opened, but after it played Toronto, it played something called the Wine Country Film Festival, oh. which I looked up, and I don't think it survived the pandemic if it even existed, you know, pre-pandemic. If someone so wants to revive fun. the Wine Country Film Festival and wants two judges for their uh, for their uh, to, exactly for their like, panel, this just sounds like our home. Like these we, two guys yeah. would whore out for your festival so readily. <laughs> Invite us, pay our way, and lodge us in wine country, and we will uh, we will judge your festival. Wine Country Film Festival just sounds like the nickname for like the circle of like gay movie twitters that we move <laughs> in. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, is this where we leave? This is where I leave you and move into the IMDb game. Yeah, why not? Uh, why not uh, explain to our listeners what the IMDb game is? All right, here's the deal. Every week. Every week, we end our episodes with the IMDb game. What do we do there? Well, we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says, quote-unquote, they're most known for. If any of these titles are television or voice-only performances or non-acting credits of any kind, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue, and if that's not enough... We uh, drive up to a funeral blasting DMX and and we give out a free for all events. All right. Uh, Joseph Reed, would you like to be in the position to give or guess first? I'll give first. All right. Whomst do you have for me? Once again, I always, whenever I'm faced with that decision, I literally every single time go, do I always give first? Or do I always think that I always give first, and thus am I always guessing first? And I cannot for the life of me remember from week to week. So anyway, um, Sean Levy, throughout his vast directing career, his very first feature film, he started in like Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and doing a lot of those sort of kid shows. First feature film that he directed was, of course, the seminal Frankie Muniz, Amanda Bynes feature, Big Fat Liar. I think we all ah. remember where we were when that movie yes. uh, made its landing. Um, among that film's cast is an actor who I'm pretty sure we both like very much, Mr. John Cho. Aha. So why don't you make your best effort at John Cho's known for? 
Is there any television? No. Um, so not the 130 Rock episode where he plays a Canadian uh, meth dealer. <laughs> the world's most cheerful Canadian meth dealer who has the my one of my favorite 30 Rock lines where it's uh, Alec Baldwin and Elizabeth Banks are in Canada and she's about to have the baby and she doesn't want to have the baby on Canadian soil because then her baby will be Canadian and not American. So they're trying to get back over the border and he's trying to help them. And it's all very fraught. And he's got a van because he's a meth dealer and he's driving him. And finally, at one point, he just sort of looks at him and he goes, Oh my God, where are my manners? Do you want to try meth? And like, <laughs> it's, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm so rude. Would you like some meth? Would you want to try meth? It's very, it's very funny. Um, I'll try and find the line because he obviously delivers it better than I did. But uh, yeah. John Cho has had a long, very busy career. So this is going to be hard. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Very good. Very correct. Had to be. Yep. I think it's quite possible there's another Harold and Kumar in there. Um, Star Trek. Indeed. 2009's Star Trek. Um, smaller movie, but in a lead role, uh, I did not like this movie. Searching? Searching. A movie... Deborah Messing Cinema. <laughs> All right. Here's what I will say. I think a lot of people liked Searching a lot more than I ended up liking Searching, but I, I will say... It. I did not regret watching that movie in a theater, and the Deborah Messing character arc in that movie, I think, is worth the price of admission. It's so insane. Maybe if I had seen it with a crowd of unruly gays, but I saw it with a crowd of, like, suburbanites happy to be watching a free movie. <laughs> I saw it with one good friend gay, and that was good enough for me. So That movie turns into a greeting card so quickly yes. that, like, I just wanted to, like puke in my popcorn hated it um okay one more you've only got uh and two franchises two franchises that i think could conceivably also be wait are you still on a perfect score have you guessed anything incorrectly i don't think you have yeah i just guessed searching yeah searching is correct oh okay yeah yeah um ever since you said his name i'm getting caught up in him being in he's in american pie right like I think he is very briefly one of the side characters. Yes. Yeah, and I know it's not that. Um, hmm. I don't know, and I don't think years are really going to help me. Now I feel the pressure to get a perfect score on John Cho. Um, is it? Is it Columbus? It is not Columbus. I think I would have also guessed Columbus, but it is not. Okay. I think too small. Searching is small, but Columbus is probably much too small. small. And I don't think he actually got like award nominations to give him the boost there in the algorithm. Yeah. So that's one strike. So your perfect score is obliterated. Is Star Trek Beyond or Star Trek? Into Darkness, the one where they made his character gay. That's I think a good it's Into question. Darkness, so I'm just going to guess Into Darkness. You're correct that it's Star Trek Into Darkness. Damn it, I should have guessed it before I guessed Galo. I think it's Star Trek Beyond where they where they make his character gay. but uh, Or at least canonically gay. Um, but we can look that up. Yes, so you got it. Almost a perfect score, but not quite. You're over... Fa- you're... Uh, Outsized faith in Koganata yeah. has proven to be your downfall. 
All right. I also went the Sean Levy route for you. Um, I went a little more basic in the Sean Levy route. Someone who surprisingly we haven't done before is Ben Stiller. Mr. Benjamin Stiller. All right. Are they all movies that he's at least an actor in? Yes, though I will say. Some are probably director or producer or something like that. No, on his known for, the billing on each of these is as a producer. Yeah, that's, I mean, he produces almost everything he's in. Everything he's in, he produces. So I don't think that's going to help you. It doesn't, no. But, like. Yeah, no, that's what I figured. Okay, so, God. This is the other thing about Ben Stiller is he's in so many movies that make money. Just so, so, so many movies that make money. It also has to be like, it has to be some type of like industry status thing that producer still is bumped to the top of every IMDb because he has more than double acting credits of what he has as a producer credit. And it's still producer for him. Um, Ben producer Stiller. Uh, like Candy Producer Muse is uh, how I always think. <laughs> um, I'm going to guess Zoolander. Correct. I'm going to guess there's something about Mary? Incorrect. Shoot. If it's Zoolander 2, I'm going to be annoyed, but I'm not going to guess that at the moment. Um... What are, like, the Ben Stiller movies? Honestly, I'll guess Night at the Museum. Incorrect. Damn! <laughs> All right, what are I my years? I think Night at the Museum is his highest grossing movie, it, so it's yeah. surprising that it's not there. Yeah. But, like, people don't talk about those movies. I think they're probably just sitting on Disney+, Plus and do people and their children watch them? I don't know. I think probably they do. I think you could not find a movie that is more outside of our sphere of interest than Night at the Museum, but, like, I think people really like I would like probably those. like them if I watched them. I've never seen them. That's my challenge to you. By the time we... Uh, we, we see each other in toronto you'll have watched all of the night of the museum movies. <laughs> i've got shit to do um uh maybe i'll watch them i don't know your years however are 2008 2013 and uh 2016 well now zoolander 2 is in play because i don't know what year it was but it's plausibly either 2013 or 2016 uh what's 2008 is the first one yes so that's tropic thunder correct tropic thunder all right God, if 2013's Walter Mitty, I'm going to be annoyed as well. Um, 2013, 2016. All right, is Zoolander 2 one of them? Zoolander 2 is 2016. <laughs> That's so annoying. Zoolander 2 shows up for like Penelope Cruz or someone. Christian Wig. It's on it, Christian it, Wiggs, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Wow. Maybe Zoolander 2 is everyone on the poster. That is it's a movie. Like- I've still never seen because I really, really loved Zoolander one, and I didn't want to like ruin anything. I saw it, and I don't think I, I I'd like rented it or got it from Netflix discs, and I don't think I finished it. Okay, no, it is not because Will Phil, Will Ferrell is on the poster, and it is not in his known form. Is twenty thirteen Walter Mitty? It is Walter Mitty. What the? F- <laughs> that's the craziest <laughs> shit. The most non-entity movie. Okay, I need to see if it's still in Penelope Cruz's. I don't think it was ever in Penelope Cruz's, Zoolander 2. I'm pretty sure it was at some point, but it is not now, so 
justice has been served. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's favorite Ben Stiller movie, Zoolander <laughs> 2, and the secret <laughs> life of Walter Mitty. That's crazy. Oh, wait. Now I want to bring up Ben Stiller's because, like, I can, I can, like, there's something about Mary absolutely should be on his known for instead of those movies. Um, not to play the I should be right game. Like, why are you booing me? I'm right. But, like, why are you booing me? I'm right. Um, what else should be on there, honestly? Ben Stiller. As I scroll through. Like, I mean, his greatest performance in the Meyerowitz stories. which Meyerowitz stories. Dodgeball. Huge hit. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, everyone watched it. I certainly People did. People still talk about it when they talk about Noah Baumbach. I will say... Oh, wait. Meyerowitz stories you're talking about? I'm talking about Dodgeball. Everybody oh, did dodgeball? see Dodgeball. Oh, okay. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Justin Long has a scene where he's uh, dodging a uh, essentially a pitching machine that keeps throwing <laughs> dodgeballs at him. That is generally one of my favorite Justin Long things uh, of his entire career. Cable Guy, though. Like, reality bites, mm-hmm. for Pete's sake. Like, come on, mm-hmm. guys. Let's get your act together. Huh? <laughs> All right, I think that is our Meet episode. the parents! My God, meet the parents. All right, <laughs> Okay, Meet the Parents is a franchise we fully moved on from. Like, yes. no place in the culture whatsoever. And I think it's because Little Fockers was so terrible. Yeah, but I, I really liked the first Meet the Parents. I watched that movie a bunch of times. I even had fun with the second one, mostly because of Barbara. Sure. But, yeah. I mean, Is Barbara in Little Fockers as well? She is. And, like, that's part of the thing of Little Fockers is, like, why it's so terrible and so, like, evidently terrible is, like, none of those people except for Robert De Niro and Ben Stiller were ever on set together. Now, see, if you wanted to do This Is Where I Leave You that was more authentically Jewish, you would cast Barbara Streisand and, like, not even bother with the mom's not Jewish line. Just yeah, You know just, what I mean? like, make them an actual Jewish family. Barbara Streisand is the mom in a movie with this premise, I think, would be gold like absolute gold barbara's not gonna show off her boobs i mean was jane fonda showing off her boobs in this line to remove the character showing their boobs anyway yeah i was gonna say if we're making that change we can make a couple more changes yeah yeah Yeah. all right right. that is our episode if you want more this head oscar buzz you can check out our tumblr at this head oscarbuzz.tumblr.com you should also follow us on twitter at had underscore oscar underscore buzz joe where can our listeners find more of you they can't. What if I just said that? What if I was just like, no, <laughs> stop looking I don't for me. Wish to be found. If you ever heard, you never heard my name. You Listen, don't know my face. I am someone who kind of wants to delete their Twitter. Yeah. Of the two so of us, of the two of us, you will end up deleting your Twitter before I do. I will say that. Definitely. That is, uh, yeah. Definitely. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at Joe Reed. Reed spelled R-E-I-D. And you can find me on Twitter for now and Letterbox uh, indefinitely at Chris V. File. That's F E I L. We want to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So uh, get loud on that baby monitor with a nice review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.